All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hardman Advisors, is also in uh, partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, we do have a, an introductory offer, a lower-priced introductory offer to give you a chance to try uh, each of these letters separately. Uh, call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, uh, or go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, where you can sign up for each of those letters, take advantage of our special introductory trial offer, um, or our regular subscriptions are available there as well. also like to remind you that you can go to jtaylormedia.com, that's jaytaylormedia.com, to access this radio show as well as all three newsletters, uh, also video interviews that I do with various CEOs of companies and uh, also various appearances that I make from time to time on CNBC, Fox, and BNN and other, other places. We do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the uh, Voice America business channel. We also um, want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Eurostar Gold Corp., Liberty Silver Corp., and Airway Energy, Inc. Well, we are certainly uh, facing some very uncertain times, to say the least. Uh, the markets are uh, seemingly responding more to psychology than to fundamentals, for sure. It's either risk is on, risk is off. If there's some happy talk out of Europe or from Ben Bernanke or somebody, some political figure, markets go up. And uh, when that hope is extinguished because of reality, the markets go down and risk trade is off. So it is uh, the most nonsensical markets that I have seen uh, in all of my years, that is for sure. But we're going to be talking uh, to Richard Mayberry today in the second hour of, actually at about 3.30 today, and Richard will be with us then during the second hour as well. Uh, Richard's going to stop by to talk about his highly acclaimed uh, book that he's written a number of years ago uh, called Whatever Happened to Penny Candy? Well, no less than a former U.S. Treasury Secretary weighed in on this excellent book, and a number of other dignitaries have um, have opined very positively about it. It is a book that may sound a bit silly in its title, but believe me, it's anything but silly, and it goes an awful long ways, I believe, in explaining why the markets are behaving as they are, why the world's financial system and economic system is now coming unglued and is in big, big trouble. 
I'm going to uh, offer some hope as well, though, in the second hour of today's show. In the third uh, segment, that is uh, after Richard uh, leaves, we are going to talk. I'm going to talk about a few companies that I think offer great upside ex- uh, potential. Uh, some of them are producing. Some of them are uh, showing great potential for outlining major deposits, gold and otherwise. Uh, so we do have some positive things to talk about today, but I must also say that uh, as I look at the world as it is now, it's very difficult for me to be extremely optimistic about things. Um, in the um, one thing I'd just like to bring out uh, last week when I was on uh, the BNN, that's uh, Canada's national uh, business channel, um, before I went on that show, I was asked by the producer, uh, why I thought on that particular day, Thursday of last week, the gold, the share markets or the gold markets actually declined in value at a very time when they might have been expected to rise. What happened that particular day was a loss of confidence in some of the happy talk that had previously come out of the uh, European Union. And, um, and so why would the gold price go down on a day when it should have gone up? Well, I offered a couple of different uh, possibilities. One, I suggested that we are in this gigantic deflationary period, enormous amounts of debt out there that cannot be repaid, and there is only uh, one thing that the markets want to do, and that's deflate. The politicians continue to try to fool Mother Nature by printing, and they, if they don't print money, they pump money into the banking system. They try to create liquidity by creating money out of thin air, and by the way, that is a topic that we will talk to Richard Mayberry about, the whole notion of creating money out of nothing. But that's what they're trying to do to try to override this natural inclination of markets to want to deflate. The markets, there's just way too much debt. It cannot be repaid. And so Mother Nature is telling us we have to cut back. We have to, uh, we have to, we have to find a way to get rid of the debt so that we can start to grow again. So we can start to engage in healthy economic activity. Well, that was one reason I thought, uh, in fact, what happens in these uh, liquidity crises is that you have to sell what you're able to sell, not necessarily what you want to sell, and that gold could come under those kind of pressures on days uh, when the risk trade is off. So even though uh, everything else is doing badly, gold could also go down in nominal terms because of this uh, deflationary um, dynamic that is really the natural dynamic of markets. But I also offered a second possibility uh, to the producer before I went on the television show, and I suggested that the gold antitrust action folks, GATA for short, have provided an awful lot of information over the years that would suggest that the markets, that the gold market in particular has been uh, rigged, that gold prices have been managed by the powers that be, by the bullion banks specifically, that would be the likes of Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. Citicorp and uh, some of the other bigger bullion banks, there's a handful of them that also just happen to be the major shareholders of the Federal Reserve. In any event, uh, the producer that I was talking to suggested that that was something he would rather I not mention. He said, you can go ahead and say what you believe, but please don't mention GATA. Uh, He says uh, that name creates a lot of trouble around here. So I think that that was very revealing to me. I've always uh, often, oftentimes suspected uh, that the powers that be are trying to keep the news from GATA from getting out, the, the evidence that the gold antitrust action people have provided that really do suggest uh, that there is a, um, a, a manipulation of the gold markets. And 
After all, haven't we just learned that these same major players have manipulated the LIBOR markets? And I would make the point also that if the gold markets are not manipulated, they are one of the few markets that are not manipulated either directly or indirectly. And Alan Greenspan understood very well uh, why the truth about gold must be suppressed. In his article that he wrote in 1966 called Gold and Economic Freedom, he explained that um, the dirty little secret about gold is that it gets in the way of confiscation, of socialism, of robbing people of their wealth. So honest money provides uh, and allows people to keep their property. And, of course, socialism is against property. Socialism uh, believes that you don't have property rights, that the society as a whole owns your property. And so that is what I think we're up against right now. Um, Richard Russell raised a good question. Why in the world does the United States hang on to its gold um, if it isn't important at all? And I think, you know, Richard's suggesting that powers that be do understand that gold is very important. There is, um, we have uh, supposedly, if we own it, and this is a big question, um, Mark, and Gata has raised the question uh, oftentimes, 8,133 tons of gold the United States is supposed to own. That's three times more than the second largest uh, holder, which is Germany, which um, supposedly owns 3,396 tons of gold. Well, why do we hang on to it? Well, Richard expects, uh, suggests, Richard Russell suggests, that the reason we hang on to it is because the policymakers know in their heart of hearts that ultimately it will enable us to reflate when they can't reflate uh, the way they're trying to do it now. QE1, QE2, especially QE3, there's talk about it. Uh, twist, Operation Twist, all these things are clearly a failure, and it's becoming more and more obvious all the time that these are failed policies. So uh, Richard Russell suggests that perhaps what they have in mind doing is exactly what Roosevelt did in the 1930s when he revalued gold from $28 and changed to $35, and that then led to an enormous increase in the money supply and allowed the inflation to, to move forward, um, at least to finance uh, World War II and so forth. But uh, And so we may be facing the same kind of uh, imposition and I think, if anything, it's going to happen because the Chinese and others uh, who are the creditor nations now will tell the United States enough is enough. Uh, and John Butler and James Turk, who have been on this show recently, both of those gentlemen believe that we could be moving into something closer to, um, oh, they, their, their idea is that we need to see a $10,000 gold price in order to make some sort of a gold monetary system viable again. And, of course, that is because of the enormous amount of money that has been created out of thin air over the years. Uh, both Turk Butler and Louis Lehrman, who's also been on the show recently, believe that the move back to some sort of gold uh, standard is inevitable. Uh, and um, it certainly seems that way to me. And one wonders, when you look at what China is doing, um, if they're not thinking that way as well. We do have to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, I'll have more to say about uh, about China and about uh, what's going on in the gold markets. Don't go away. I'll be right back. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network 
Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Eurostar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.eurostargold.com for more information. Is your business ready to get started in social media? If you've already made that plunge, where do you stand right now? Are you using it to stay ahead of your competition? Or are you feeling a bit lost? Tune in to Social Media Pearls with host Shirley Williams. Shirley and her guest experts are here to answer your questions as well as focus on areas where you should have questions. It's everything you've always wanted to know about using social media for business. It's Social Media Pearls, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, we, in picking up on the subject that uh, I was talking about before the break, uh, the possibility of going back to a gold-backed standard, I would say in my mind now not only a possibility but a highly likely probability that that is going to happen. It's clear to me and it's clear to a growing number of people that the uh, post-Bretton Woods system that was created um, and then was altered in 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard was uh, is a system that is clearly failing now. It's breaking down. Europe is ready to break down. The U.S. is in much worse shape. We're just we just as um, Ian McAvity says we are the uh, the best looking horse in the glue factory. We are in big trouble ourselves. Uh, no question about that because uh, without any constraints and the creation of money, we've had debt. Remember that debt is the raw material from which money is created. When you take out a loan, you increase the money supply. And that's what we've been doing, but we've been doing it exponentially. And income has grown in a linear fashion at best, but debt is growing exponentially, so it cannot be financed. We are really a world that is broke. It is really a, a Western world, especially the Western world is now is broke. It is, uh, it is insolvent. And it's not only illiquid, it's, it's insolvent. In fact, you can make the case that liquidity isn't the biggest problem since the Fed creates more liquidity, puts it into the banks. The problem is the liquidity, with that liquidity comes debt because debt is the, the raw material from which money is manufactured in a fiat currency system as opposed to a gold-backed system where you dig it out of the ground. Gold or silver becomes money. It's an asset-based money. So we have this growth of debt. The system is breaking down. The policymakers are fighting it like mad. They are pumping more money, more of this debt money into the system. 
ill-advised as it is, that is all they know to do, and that is what they're doing. The thing is, ultimately, they're going to have to come back to the realization that money that, we're, that people will demand, uh, real money, they'll demand money that has value to it, intrinsic value, which is gold and silver. Well, the big question then is, how is this going to come about? Well, uh, first of all, the system, they will continue to try to do what they've been doing. And John Hathaway of the Tocqueville Fund, uh, we had um, his colleague, Doug Grow with us. Uh, last week, Doug uh, talked about the markets, and uh, certainly his, uh, the person he works with there, John Hathaway, who's the senior guy at the Tocqueville Fund, uh, came up recently with several points, John believes that we're going to be very, very soon running into the time when we see $100 a day up days for gold. And uh, that, I think, could very easily happen when the loss of confidence occurs, when people finally say that, uh, when they finally realize that the happy talk is nothing more than happy talk from Europe and from the policymakers in the United States. But Hathaway uh, provided uh, on King World News recently talked about uh, some factors that he believes is going to cause uh, the system, really, uh, gold to really skyrocket in value. First of all, he expects we're going to see another quantitative easing attempt, and whether that is true or not remains to be seen, but he thinks we will. And he also believes, uh, in, and quite frankly, I believe we will too, if we don't, uh, if things don't turn around, uh, and certainly I don't see any possibility of them turning around uh, the way things are going right now. Another uh, policy that he sees them enacting is negative nominal interest rates. Now we have negative real interest rates for sure because the rate of interest is lower than the inflation rate. So when you save money, you're losing. Uh, you're not gaining any value at all. Um, and then um, we're going to uh, the other thing. So we have negative interest rates is what he's suggesting. Uh, another thing that he believes we will do uh, is uh, is that we will be cutting um, that, we, that we'll be raising the inflation that that the Fed will raise the inflation target. Uh, and so that is another policy. All these are policies uh, that uh, a gentleman uh, named uh, Hilsenrath, who is a spokesperson for the Fed, has been hinting at. And as John. Uh, as John mentions, he says everybody knows that he is the mouthpiece for the Fed. So uh, we're looking at uh, at the possibility of you know all all the stops being pulled, everything possible before the system breaks down and before we are forced to go back onto some sort of a gold standard. But I believe that uh, that uh, a return to gold is inevitable and that we will be forced ultimately by the Chinese. Uh, and other creditors, but but specifically and most importantly by the Chinese. Now, if we look at what's going on in China, and Hind Capital came out with uh, with a report today uh, suggesting that gold is really poised for an upside breakout from its current range, uh, from its current levels, and they're suggesting that because of several factors. One is that gold has been completely, very very compressed of late, uh, and uh, you know, and I think the Hind Capital folks probably share Gata's view that there is some uh, some artificial repression in the market that's keeping it down. But they also point out um, with respect to Gibson's par- uh, paradox, which was um, a study that was done that revealed Gibson's paradox by former Treasury Secretary Summers. And the gold antitrust action people have really have extensive information on this. You go to their website, you can read about it. Gibson paradox points out that after you're below 2%, of, when gold goes down, there is a factor of, um, of, of for every time when gold goes down 
uh, below 2%, every 2%, it uh, brings about an 8% uh, return. Or when it's below 2%, you get an 8% rise in the gold price. When the interest rates are below 2%, you get an 8% rise in the gold price. Now, uh, real interest rates are negative 1.45, so that's suggesting, according to Gibson's paradox, that we could see something like a 28% increase in the gold price this year uh, before the end of the year. That would certainly uh, get people excited, would certainly be great for the mining shares again. I think uh, Doug Groh, as he talked last week at, from the Togoville Fund, said that's, that we need something like a $100 increase in the gold price to really start getting the mining shares exciting again. But the, the third point that Hein Capital brought out uh, was that uh, we are seeing a very massive increase in the ownership of China, Chinese gold ownership. Uh, we're looking at, uh, for example, uh, in China this year, um, we are seeing something like as much China, the first quarter of this year, actually. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the second quarter of this year, China bought enough gold to equal uh, Australia's annual production. It's, uh, it's greater than what Newmont and Newcrest uh, produce combined. It's greater than what uh, it's, it's equal to what Russia and Canada produces on an annual scale, and it's two times as much gold as Singapore holds. It's four times as much as Korea holds. And China purchased, imported that through Hong Kong in qu the second quarter of this year. So that's just during the second quarter of this year. And keep in mind that China is now the largest. China is the largest uh, producer of gold on the face of the earth. So you combine all that. China is clearly is clearly building up its monetary, its gold base. I'm sure, I believe that China is very, very confident that it is, uh, that we are going back on a gold standard. I think Russia will be with China on that. Uh, India, perhaps. Um, the countries that are not all that friendly to the expansion uh, of the United States and the Anglo-American empire as it tries to encompass the world and set up a one-world government as much as they're able to, at least. But another thing that's really caught my attention is that the Chinese, um, and, and this is really nothing new, but more recently we're seeing the Chinese coming in with $1.7 billion into a private equity fund in California, also buying into some private equity uh, ownerships of our automobile. Uh, I think it's General Motors that I saw in the Financial Times recently. Uh, so China is trying to get rid of its paper dollars. This is nothing new. It's been a theme that's been going on for some time. In fact, uh, I know Richard Mayberry, who we're going to be talking to next, uh, has talked in the past in his newsletters about his belief that China is probably making a deal with many different countries around the world to purchase their assets, their mines, their, their oil deposits, and so forth uh, by paying out dollars over long periods of time. That way, not dumping huge amounts of dollars onto the market all at once and driving the dollar down significantly, but, uh, uh, but in fact... Um, you know, trying to keep the dollar from losing all that value at the same time out the back door, getting out of the dollar. China certainly has to realize that the dollar is a currency that's living on borrowed time. So we really do have, I think, uh, the, the makings for an explosion in the gold price. And I'm also encouraged now as I look at the markets today uh, about the gold mining shares. We are seeing uh, the Toronto Gold Index is up um, well, it's up 7.59 today to 295.22. Uh, it looks to me like that index, which covers a lot of the junior mining companies, is hitting a double bottom. Uh, we could see a good fall rally. This is the time of the year for gold to, to rally uh, in the fall. Uh, and so I think that everything is lining up very, very well, I believe, to, um, 
uh, for that for that to happen. We um, we we do also. I look very carefully at the real price of gold, which I think is very very important as well. The real price of gold, uh, which is uh, I, I measure it in terms of how much an ounce of gold will buy of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, and I like to remind you almost every week that before the Lehman Brothers collapse in 2008, an ounce of gold would have purchased only 17% of that fund, which has lots of energy and base metals and clothing items and food items in it. But in fact, uh, it now uh, will buy about, well, it got up to 49%, 49.5%. It's now about 42 or 43%. A long-term trend upwards uh, in the real purchasing power since the gold, uh, since the credit markets uh, started to implode following the Lehman Brothers collapse. Um, I would like to just uh, before we go to our break, and then Richard Mayberry would like to also uh, pass along some technical, some ideas in terms of the technical, uh, the technicals for gold um, from Dr. Robert McHugh, who's been on this show in the past, and. Uh, August uh, early this morning, he said, and I quote, there is an important support shelf for gold and silver with five touches and stops in gold and four touches and stops in silver over the past year. Key support is $1,525 in gold and $26 in silver. They keep trying to break below those levels, testing those levels, but those levels have held. This is part of a well-defined uh, decline bullish triangle for both precious metals, suggesting the prices will give up trying and rally hard at some point over the coming months. Our top labeling suggests these markets are about to bounce into waves D highs, a 1700 uh, range for gold and $33 for silver, uh, then could retreat and retest those support shelves one more time before they catapult sharply higher 35 to 50 percent higher, he thinks, beyond that level. So that is uh, Dr. Robert McHugh uh, looking at gold from a technical point of view. Certainly, the technicals look do look very strong, but as I was just saying, so also do the fundamentals because we have a system, a post Bretton Woods, uh, a system that is breaking down clearly. I think clearly breaking down, and we do have to go to break now. But when we come back, I think we're going to learn a lot more about why the system is breaking down when uh, Rick Mayberry uh, joins me uh, after the break to talk about whatever happened to Penny Candy. And I think that will go a long way in helping us understand what in the world is going on uh, in the markets today. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Rick Mayberry. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Eurostar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.eurostargold.com for more information. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. 
by applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's Insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, at least for a second time, I'm not sure if Richard's been with me before or not, Richard Mayberry. Uh, he uh, has been with me at least once before, um, and I, I hope to have him back a number of times in the future if he's willing to come back. He is. He writes an excellent newsletter. Uh, it's a newsletter that I read every month. It's, uh, it's called U.S. Uh, and World Early, uh, Early Warning Report. Uh, it's it's one of those newsletters that I get. You know, I get a lot of newsletters, but this this is one of those that I put at the top and say this is this I have to read before I do anything else. Uh, it is uh, Richard has had probably one of the best track records uh, of anybody that I've ever run into in terms of forecasting geopolitical events, and I think that his understanding of monetary events, which is what we want to talk to him today about, monetary systems, uh, it goes a long way in explaining his uh, his ability to predict what's going on uh, globally and uh, in, in the world's uh, finance in the world's uh, geopolitical scene and so but today we want to talk to Richard uh, specifically about a book called whatever happened to penny candy I'm not going to go through Richard's bio again you can you can read it uh, on the website at uh, uh, at the voice America website just uh, just look under the uh, the guest names under alphabetically Richard Mayberry and you'll find him there uh, but I just know that we're not going to have enough time to talk about everything that we want to talk about today. So I, I'm not going to spend more time on Richard's background, except also perhaps to say that he has been uh, has served in the U.S. military and he has also been a teacher. Uh, he was a teacher in the in the school system, I believe that that was true. And he, but he's more of a teacher now. I think probably he would not be able to teach people as well as he does now. Uh, if he were working in the uh, in in the educational system, the United States educational system as it is, he writes this newsletter, which is very very educating, and he's written a series of books. Uh, whatever happened to Penny Candy, being one of them. So welcome, Richard. Really good to have you back. Well, thanks, Jay. It's good to be here. Uh, whatever happened to Penny Candy? It sounds a little silly, honestly. I can remember. I'm old enough to remember 
when I could take a few pennies to up, uptown to the five and dime store and get myself some different candies. But, you know, I think most kids these days, you and I are old enough, I think, you were close to my age, to remember the day when we could do that. Today, you can't buy very much. I mean, you, you got to have, what is it? What does a candy bar cost these days? A buck or so at least? Yeah, so, about. <laughs> uh, so what ha- whatever, so why the title of the book? Whatever happened to can- Penny Candy? Well, um, one of the ways that I used to use to uh, teach my students what inflation and recessions and depressions and, you know, monetary panics and all these things are about is to point out to them exactly what you just did, is that there was a day when everybody knew what penny candy was. You could go and buy it for a penny, and now you can't anymore. It's a lot more expensive. And um, what I, I... I did was I had a a series of stories to explain that it wasn't the candy that went up, it was the money that went down. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, one reason being, or the main reason being, that the government just keeps printing this stuff in order to cover its spending, and money responds to the law of supply and demand, just like everything else does. When the quantity goes up, the value of each individual item goes down, um, and that's the true with the dollar or with the penny um, or any other kind of money. As the supply increases, and it is increasing, as you pointed out, all over the world, in every country, uh, governments are expanding their money supplies just exactly the same way that counterfeiters do. They're just creating money out of thin air, and that causes the value of each individual unit to go down. And, um, you know, I, I was a teacher, and realized that, that the students were graduating from high school and college without any clear understanding of any of this stuff mm-hmm. and that that was leaving them vulnerable <clears throat> to what was going on in the world uh namely you know what governments were doing to us but generally just that people are extremely vulnerable in their finances and their their businesses and careers because they don't understand what's happening uh, with the money itself. And the book, Whatever Happened to Penny Candy, um, was written to to explain this extremely basic uh, set of facts that they can use as a foundation for their understanding of what's happening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I run across all the time now is that, is that people have a kind of a helpless feeling that, that events are, are just... Um, uh, just blowing them around like a cork on the ocean, mm-hmm. and they have no control of their lives. And the reason they don't have control, they don't realize, but the reason they don't have control is they don't understand what's happening. They don't understand that the, it isn't the candy that went up, it's the dollar that went down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and all the, uh, the aspects uh, associated with that. In- incidentally, uh, if people are interested in getting hold of whatever happened to Penny Candy, uh, I'll give the uh, the information in a little while. So if they want to have a pencil and a paper nearby, um, that will uh, enable them to write down the particulars. Absolutely. Well, we'll give it to them now, and we can give it to them later. Oh, okay. Uh, there is a phone number, 800-509-5400, where people can call, 800-509-5400. And your website is richardmayberry.com, I believe. Correct. Okay. Well, we'll give it. We'll give it again because we want to make sure people 
uh, follow up with whatever happened to Penny Candy. It is a paperback book. I have it in front of me. And by the way, before we uh, get into it further, I would like to just mention that uh, this book is highly acclaimed, um, none other than William Simon, the former U.S. Treasury Secretary, uh, said that it is must-reading for anyone who wishes to understand the basics of our free enterprise system. That's uh, William E. Simon, former U.S. Treasury Secretary. And uh, Doug Casey, who's been on this show, a person I know, I consider him a friend, said, and I quote, probably the best short course in economics around and is more valuable than a college text that's ten times its length. Buy a dozen and give them to friends. This is a great book, end of quote. And I would say that. Uh, what are you charging for this book? Oh, I think it's uh, fifteen dollars. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. You, when people call, they can find out. It's right, fifteen dollars if you buy one. Um, it's it's a great bargain. Uh, there there are plenty of other. Uh, interesting enough, uh, the Fraser Institute, uh, British Columbia. Michael A. Walker, executive director. I mean, I think of the the British Columbian, uh, the Canadians, as being totally socialist. But this uh, fellow said, uh, Michael Walker said, this book uh, is must reading for children of all ages. It's uh, it, it present uh, its presentation of some of the fundamentals of economics is lucid, accurate, and above all, highly readable. Well, you know. Richard, I think that one of the things that they have convinced uh, the American people of is that economics is way over their heads. It's too complicated. They can't understand it. But you don't agree with that, do you? Oh, well, I do in a sense. Um, uh-huh. Their economics is way over everybody's head. <laughs> and I think that's not an accident. Yeah. Um, the, you know, this economics, let, let's point something out. Um, in science, um, what gives the the prestige to physics above all other sciences is its ability to predict, mm-hmm. and um, that requires huge amounts of math. Mm-hmm. And so, all other scientists, um, both physical sciences and the social sciences, they strive to become mathematical so that they look like physicists <laughs> and they have that prestige. And the economics uh, profession isn't any different than any of the others. Um, and so um, one reason that the Keynesian economics that the government uses, uh, basically all governments use nowadays, one reason that that grabbed hold and, and just ran uh, with all of these governments is that it's heavily mathematical. Um, and it gives this sense of predictability. It, it leads people to think that this is the economy is some mechanical system, mm-hmm. and that predictions can be made and adjustments can be made, mm-hmm. fine tune things, and make make life wonderful for everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they expect to have very very complicated mathematical models, and I know that Tom Keene on Bloomberg. Uh, you know, it epitomizes this, and he likes to talk about all these fancy mathematical um, uh, expressions that, that uh, probably most people don't understand, but that is sort of a pretense, isn't it, uh, yeah. to, to, to knowing a lot about and, and having this complicated system, being, being shoulders above anybody else, um, you know, in terms of understanding and being able to being able to manipulate the economy, uh, for lack of better terms, to be able to to uh, to engage in policies that are going to work, but they haven't worked too well, have they? 
Oh, well, you, I mean, you, you talk about it all the time. I mean, it's a catastrophe. Yeah. Um, the system's essentially phony um, because it sees the economy as a machine rather than an ecology mm-hmm. that's made of biological organisms, which mm-hmm. are people. Yeah, um, and and that's one of the things I I did with uh, whatever happened to Penny Candy, is, is um, st- strip away all the math, and and get it down to seeing the economy as an ecology, made of these biological creatures called people, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know to ask how do people behave, what is exactly is going on here in the realm of human behavior. Um, not charts and graphs and equations and all of this other mathematical stuff that that looks real but isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know that's I think the main reason that whatever happened to Penny Candy is so popular is that people can understand it. It's very very easy to understand because all the mathematical voodoo has been stripped out of it. It's very easy to understand, and it's also very easy for people to relate to it because it relates directly to our experiences in life. Uh, and, and that is always, I think, very important to bring into. I know, I know you tried to do that in your education when you were working in the, within the system, trying to use people's experience to help them understand what they're, uh, what they're studying, what the, what the truth is. You know, Richard, you talked about how lots of writers, um, financial writers and otherwise, try to pretend to be objective. You said that you don't make any pretenses to that, that you are not objective, you are biased towards, I think you called yourself a jurist naturalist, uh, or jurist naturalism is, is what you subscribe to. Talk to our listeners about that. What do you mean by that? Uh, that refers to natural law. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's what the original British common law uh, used to be referred to as, is natural law. Um, and um, the... Um, you know the reason I say I'm not objective is because um, I believe in in that system of law that that system. Uh, uh, now this is another book we're talking about here. It's one called Whatever Happened to Justice. Yes. Um, it's actually the next book in the series after Whatever Happened to Penny Candy. But um, you know very quickly um, the legal system. In, in the British Empire and in America was not originally one where a bunch of politicians got together and made up laws out of thin air. Laws did not come from this law-making process. It was a law-discovering process. They would look at uh, legal precedents, legal decisions that went all the way back into the Middle Ages um, and um, try to figure out what was right and what was wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so law in those days was based on right and wrong, not mm-hmm. on power and manipulation. Mm-hmm. And um, those those principles of right and wrong were extracted from um, religion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thou shalt not steal. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole uh, the whole British uh, common law legal system grew up from these basic religious laws mm-hmm. uh, that go all the way back into the early Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And, again, it was a discovery process. It was, in any case, it came before a judge. The judge was trying to figure out what's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. um, not, you know, let's just pass a law and force everybody to do such and such. That that was not part of the process. This mm-hmm. idea of 
democratically making up laws was considered insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and so um, uh, that's you know what I'm referring to. There there are certain things that I believe in and I won't compromise on, um, and they're they are basically the original American principles regarding liberty and free markets and international neutrality. And whenever I look at anything, um, I I look at it through the eyes of someone who has those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to um, to compromise with anybody and say, well, maybe tyranny is a good idea. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the, the, the compromise is uh, is a dirty word, as far as I'm concerned, and it's it's probably one of the reasons that uh, our favorite uh, politician Ron Paul is is so loved is because he doesn't compromise. But Richard, I want to ask you about um, you have made the statement that there are you know the major religions of the world have I think two two or three different things that they all agree on, and if people just behaved and followed those those two or three commandments, that we could live together peacefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it would solve the economic problems, too. Yeah. There, there are two fundamental laws that all religions teach and that the old British common law was based on. it. They were the foundation. Now, the first law is do all you have agreed to do. Mm-hmm. Now, that's so you basis. honor your contract, in other words. Exactly. That's the basis of contract law. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is do not encroach on other persons or their property. Mm-hmm. That's the basis of uh, tort law and some criminal law. Uh, and that was all there was to it. It was 17 words. And basically all of the legal system of the United States um, could be, or let's say all the legal system of America, uh, is uh, you, can, you could boil it all down into those 17 words. Uh, do all you have agreed to do and do not encroach on other persons or their property. And all religions teach those two laws, which is why the law was called the common law, the law common to all. Right. Okay, so why is it then that we have this notion that it's all right for government to do those things against us, but not for us to do it against each other? Well, it used to be what was called the divine right of kings. You might remember (laughs) that from your high school. Yeah. Uh, And what the divine right of kings was, was the legal privilege of breaking those two laws. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the king was held to be some superior form of human who had the right to um, to break his contracts, to kill people when they got in his way, mm-hmm. um, to lock them up, whatever. Um, he was just entitled to do anything he wanted. That was the divine right of kings. And mm-hmm. the American Revolution was very much a, a revolution against the divine right of kings. And unfortunately... Um, some decades after the revolution was over, the uh, power seekers uh, had um, mutated the American legal system into one uh, that is now uh, the divine right of the majority. Right. And Democracy, today, in other words. What's that? Democracy, in other words. Yes, right, right. Um, Which becomes mobocracy. Yeah. The fascinating thing to me is that everybody in the schools is taught to believe in democracy. Um, and they're all taught that America is supposed to be a democracy. But I have read a, a great deal of the literature of the American Revolution, and nowhere that I have ever found was anyone fighting for democracy or majority rule. 
Right. They, they were always fighting for liberty, which is an entirely different thing. Right. But uh, but that really came into being. It seems to me that first war was uh, World War II under Wilson uh, was to fight, uh, wasn't it? Not for democracy or to make the world safe for democracy. Was that a slogan? Or oh, definitely in World War One. World yeah. War One, right? That's mm-hmm. right. Definitely under Wilson. And uh, and no, nowhere does it appear in the Constitution the notion of democracy. Right. Yeah. The idea that that the the majority or the representatives <laughs> have some sort of supernatural power to decide what's right and wrong. <laughs> right. That was crazy. So it sounds to me, though, Richard, that we do have a king now, and maybe maybe Obama wasn't the first. He uh, uh, W was also a king of sorts, I would guess, but mm-hmm. it seems to me that this king, kingdom, the, one that, the king that sits in Washington is gaining power now because, after all, this guy can go out and kill people without any trial huh? if he just suspects that we are, if you or I are an enemy of the state, or if you or I are, you know, considered to be somebody that's a threat to to what I don't know to the nation or a terrorist, and how is that defined? Yeah, uh, you're talking about the drone strikes, right? I mean, uh-huh. they don't just take us out if we, if 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 I'm an enemy of the state, I don't need, I don't deserve a trial. I'm just taken out. I mean, it's one person's one king, one person's decision, or a group of people that get together with Mr. Obama and decide who the next person to, to kill should. Uh, who, who should be killed and taken out without without a trial? Sounds, you know, sounds an awful lot like the like what you were describing a minute ago about the divine right of kings. Yeah, um, the you know, people are not taught that the main reason we have trials is, is not to protect the defendant; it is to protect you and me, right, and lots of other people um, who don't, among other things, don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to just accidentally murder somebody. You want to be sure that he really is the guy who did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so this idea of just flying you know airplanes around and killing people uh, because we think they're guilty mm-hmm. that's insane. Um, and it's just more of of exactly what you see in the economy every day. It's just insanity piled on top of insanity. And again, whatever happened to Penny, Penny Candy. Um, was designed to to make you aware, to make the reader aware of these insanities that are that have been constructed in Washington and are are being used to just ruin our lives. Mm-hmm. We had uh, an excellent guest here a number of uh, weeks ago named Alana Mercer, who is talking about. Uh, she's written a book called uh, Inside uh, the Cannibal's Pot. It's a story of. Uh, South Africa and what has happened in the post-apartheid era, and she's, she was anything but pro-apartheid, but she points out that property rights have been taken away, and with that has now come just a massive destruction of, uh, of the safety of human beings. So we, whatever happened to Penny Candy, I, I believe what you're getting at here, Richard, and I want to get into it in, in some detail now, and especially after we come back after the break, but uh, what, what you're talking about here is a sort of a a sneaky way of government taking property from us. Is that not what's going on with uh, mm-hmm. with, with Penny Candy, with, with the demolition of, of, of Penny Candy? Yeah, um, um, that's exactly right. At bottom, when we're talking about the destruction of the currencies, um, inflation, recessions, depressions, uh, financial crashes, all of these these subjects are really at bottom about the government finding new and better ways to steal from people. Uh, just as a counterfeiter um, steals 
from his victims. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he he prints up money, which is inherently worthless, and um, he goes out and buys things with it. He, what he is doing is he is ste- stealing the value of those items. Yes, um, and, and getting away with scot free usually. Yeah. Um, and the government does the same thing. It's, it's, uh, you know, by expanding the money supply through this very convoluted thing called the Federal Reserve System, mm-hmm. they essentially are creating money and going out and spending it and, uh, walking away with the valuable goods and services. Um, and the money that you and I have in our pockets that loses value because of that expansion of the money supply. You know, that loss of value is actually a tax on us. Mm-hmm. They are walking away with some of our wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, as John Maynard Keynes says, he wasn't wrong about everything. But one of the things he was right about is not one man in a million really understands what's happening. Well, this is why I think penny candy is so important, because I think if people really understood, uh, you know, unless they were willing to give to the to King Obama or King Bush or King Romney, the the divine right of kings i say yeah please uh, for my own good please 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 take all my wealth and give it to other people just just share it out i mean i'm so pleased you know we've had uh, here in new york city lots of liberals lots of i would call them communists frankly people mm-hmm. that don't understand i think it's just they're not bad people they just don't understand what they're talking about and they say oh i'm happy to pay more taxes i'm really happy to pay more taxes because i know it's doing good for people and these aren't people that are necessarily the the Warren Buffetts of this age. They're not, you know, people that are they're not wealthy. We don't know very many people like that. They're just pretty common people that they, they sort of believe it. Well, how in the world can we see that that the destruction of government, what it's doing to us, how it's killing us? People don't understand it. They think, oh, if Mr. Obama takes the money from us, he's going to do good things for us. He's going to really help us. So I'm happy to give my money. How can where how in the world did we come about to believe? And to relinquish this our rights of property and just hand it over to Mr. Obama or Mr. Romney or Mr. Bush, how did this come about? Well, one big part of it is the public school systems. Um, the uh, when you have, well, well, you know, First Amendment says that we have uh, freedom of the press, and right. the reason that exists is because we don't want the government using the press to brainwash us into believing things that aren't so. <laughs> well, what's a public school then? It's owned by the government. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the mistakes the American founders made, uh, you know, nobody admires them more than I do, um, mm-hmm. and especially their principles. But they weren't perfect. They made some mistakes. And one of the mistakes they made was by not putting um, a, what would you call it, uh, freedom of schooling in there uh-huh. um, and so all of the states have government-owned school systems which incidentally cost a fortune yep um, and um, they uh, um, are you know I mean they're in the business of teaching the kids that the government is this wonderful thing that gives us all the good things in life and um, and so people come out of school believing that just just as they would if there were no free press and the government owned all the newspapers and, and uh, brainwashed us all through the press. Uh, same thing is going on in the schools. And, you know, a lot of times I hear people complain at the teachers uh, what they're teaching, but they're just teaching what they were taught. They came yeah. up through these same schools like you and I did. Mm-hmm. And, and there are lots of teachers who fall through the cracks and who don't believe what they were taught. 
and they wind up resigning. Um, and the ones that are left are the ones that, that do believe what they were taught in school, and they're passing it along to the kids. Yeah, no, that's for sure. I mean, you were one that didn't believe. You uh, you went your separate way and started educating people uh, in a different way, thankfully for that. Uh, Rick, there's a lot of other people out there, too, but the, uh, the deck seems to be weighed against us right now. Uh, we, we're going to come back. We have to go to a commercial break now. Uh, when we come back, I want to start to delve in a little bit more uh, in detail to some of the items that you talk about in your book, the mechanics of uh, of inflation and deflation and all the problems that are going on. You spell it out in such uh, easy-to-understand manner in Whatever Happened to Penny Candy. So when we come back, we're going to, to talk in a little more detail about uh, coin clipping and uh, ridges and all kinds of things like that that are really important in understanding uh, what is going on. Folks, okay. don't go away. We'll be right back after the top of the hour with Rick Mayberry. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Eurostar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.euristargold.com for more information. Are you in a workplace filled with harmony or chaos? Is it your boss causing undue stress, or is it your co-workers? Maybe it's the work you're doing. Maybe it's the work environment. You need real solutions from someone who has over 25 years of workplace consulting experience. Tune in to Today's Workplace with Emery Mulling, your at-work expert. Emery and his guests will bring you expert solutions to the problems found in work environments today. Solutions you can apply right away to create a pleasurable workspace. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. <laughs> 